Welcome back to Jessica and Carla's High School Reunion. Today we get to hear from Bruce Montgomery about his early days as an actor touring the country in a van, how he decided to build a business centered on improv during a really boring accounting class, what it's like to work alongside his wife, Gail, and how he ended up in the World Whistling Competition. Thanks for joining us. I mean, I have to say, going to live music. Taylor Swift, man, she is impressive. Yeah. Yeah, she puts on a show. Remember when we went to see the Joshua Tree Mm -hmm. tour Mm -hmm. in Las Cruces Mm in 1989? I mean, that was 87, right, of course. That was a concert for the ages back then. Mm -hmm. But it was very like guys on a stage. Mm -hmm. It had some production, but not a lot. I mean, what we saw was a different level of. Right. Choreography, costumes, sets, Mm -hmm. and the audience. I mean, just everyone was so into it and dressed up for it and got the friendship bracelets and singing along. (laughs) It was a whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun. I know. I'm so glad we did that. And, um, oh, me too. Me too. It was really a highlight of my summer. Me too. Being with you was a highlight of my summer, but. Yes. But, the whole you know, thing. Taylor gets <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I, I actually. Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't know if you saw yesterday that David Eagleman posted that his podcast Inner Cosmos is the ninth most listened to podcast everywhere right now. And I'm so excited for him. And I started listening to it today and was like, this it's is a great so podcast. Cool. And I love that he, you know, really thinks about everything from, you know, how our brain connects to whether or not we follow authority to what we are going to how it's different from artificial intelligence. It's a really cool, diverse set of topics too. So I'm excited for him. It's really good. I had, I'm having fun with it already. Well, today, well, do you think that we're going to, I think, do you think our podcast is going to be like number 10? I feel like like David ought to be pretty afraid, you know? I mean, we might just bump him right out of the top 10. (laughs) Uh, we're coming for you david yes no we're we're, yeah exactly we're coming for you (laughs) maybe the episode he comes on to our podcast (laughs) if we can get him to come on exactly (laughs) exactly oh funny well um i'm really excited to talk to our guest today me too me too bruce montgomery um, and you, what do you remember about Bruce? Well, I remember Bruce mostly from our theater experiences. I took theater mm-hmm. classes with him. I was in shows with him. Um, and probably my most vivid memories are from um, Little Shop of Horrors. Um, 
And mm-hmm. we took that play up to Denver, actually, to Kent Denver School to perform it. Um, and then Kent Denver came down to Albuquerque and performed Godspell. But um, I just mm-hmm. had so many fun memories of goofing around with Bruce and he took his his theater seriously, but um, managed to have a great time with it. Yeah, I was in one performance with him as well. Um, Don't Drink the Water. I had like a small bit part and it was me and Jenna App and we were his harem and he was the sheik. <laughs> and I just, I just remember being, you know, that was, that was my, my, my most vivid memory of Bruce in high school. Mm-hmm. I had a relationship with him outside of high school because of the work he does helping um, groups and leaders by sharing improv um, with them. And of course, that's something that you and I have both had some experience with and had some fun with, but he does it professionally. (laughs) I know. And if I'm not mistaken, does he do that work with his wife, Gail? Yeah. They work together. Yeah. I've got to learn more about this. Yeah, you will. And they're so fun and dynamic and I love them both. They're great. The other thing I remember about Bruce is that he didn't come until his junior year. I was, and I was he, wondering if it was 10th grade or 11th grade. It was 11th, okay. It was 11th grade, yeah. And he and Jenna App both came the same year, and they both – but I, I, I think about both of them as being, like, integral members of our class by the time we graduated, and I think that must have been so hard to enter as a junior in high school mm-hmm. to our class mm-hmm. – and then just be able to just transition so so seamlessly. So that'll be kind of fun to at least that talk was our perception. Too. I wonder if you felt right. like you <laughs> transitioned that seamlessly. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think by that point we were ready for any new meet. And I mean that in like not the <laughs> not the dating meet, but just like any any anyone new. hundred percent. Like, we like, can I please talk to somebody who doesn't already know everything about me? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. We must have looked like, like piranhas or something. Like, <laughs> you know, one thing that I would love to touch on before Bruce jumps on is um, some pushback we've gotten from some of our classmates who really feel like their lives are not interesting enough for Mm -hmm. this podcast. Right. I think it's funny that just because someone achieves, you know, greatness in a particular area or notoriety or whatever, that somehow they're more interesting or that they have more exciting stories to tell. I just fundamentally disagree with that. Right. Every human being. And I think this this experience that we're having just actually confirms this this thinking that I have is that every human being is just, you know, a vessel of so many interesting moments. And they're interesting because they've been somehow transformational, even in its in small ways. I don't know. I think in fact sometimes the most kind of like banal stories that we hear are so important because they resonate with more people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like it may be some small, trivial, what seemingly trivial experience that one's had, even if it's just about being a parent or 
you know, uh, you know, Brad's some of Brad's stories about like what it was like to get and then quit jobs. Like we've all done that. So when we hear people tell their stories of those things, they're really relatable. So yeah, I just have found every person we've talked to just infinitely fascinating. And I would have liked to spend another hour on the phone with each of them. I know. That's the thing. At the beginning of right? all this, I thought we're going to do 30 minutes. I mean, that's going to be enough. And every conversation... <laughs> We're struggling to hold it to about an hour, you know? Um, yeah, so yeah, know. there's a lot of, of really cool, really cool stories and mm-hmm. neat reflections. And um, I'm really enjoying it. And I, I encourage all of our classmates to take the leap. And if nothing else, it'll be a wonderful memento for other people in your life who love you and yeah. are interested. Oh, And here we go, as prompt as one could possibly be. I believe we see the dots of, here he is. How are you, Bruce? What's going on? Is the picture bad? Do I need to worry about my Wi-Fi? What's going on? No, no, it's good. (laughs) Where are you? Are you actually in your house? We're doing a lot of filming for... our online programs. So we're, we're like, all right, we need something that looks a little, a little better than just a blank wall. So we, we bought this and kind of jazzed it up with some set dressing and stuff. So. All right. Well, you're, you're no, you're no stranger to the mic (laughs) and the storytelling. This is true. Right. This is true. That's that's great. Awesome. Well, Jessica, you want to kick us off? You're always good at that. Sure. Um, don't suck it, Jessica. Like, actually do a good job, though, okay? <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> welcome episode number eight, star Bruce Montgomery. Bruce, what have you been up to for the last 35 years? Wow, that is a very loaded, loaded question, Jessica Slade. Um, a lot. I mean, it's, you know, just like all of us, right? We we um, we do a lot in our lives. I've had kids. I've gotten kids out of the house. One of the kids come has come back home. Um, we, uh, we have an old bird who lives in the nest. My father-in-law has lived with us for the last several years. You know, it's, it's all, it's all the life stuff, right? It's all the life stuff. And have you been in Denver how, or outside of Denver? Tell us, tell us geographically what your journey has been. Sure. So, um, went to so after the academy, uh, went to the College of Santa Fe, uh, studied theater, got an acting degree, moved to New York City, uh, lived in New York City for almost eight years. Um, the uh, the crazy thing was we had a, a 330 square foot apartment and a brand new baby uh, in the year 2000. And we were like, hey, maybe maybe this is a little too small for us because babies take up a, like babies take up a lot of room. And um, and I don't know if you remember the, the Friends episode where uh, uh, they have the baby and like they put it in a corner and there's a sheet up on one side. That was totally our life. Like we. We put up a sheet in a corner. We put um, we put the the crib up on cinder blocks because we needed the storage underneath the crib in order to put stuff. Like it was, wow. we were we lived six months that way, and, and both of us just went, we can't we can't do this anymore. So, uh, Gail's parents lived in outside of Detroit and Michigan, and my mom and dad had moved to Denver, 
and it was Detroit or Michigan. And we went, it's not Detroit. So we're moving to Denver and we've been here ever since. And we moved kind of around a little bit and then landed in the same city that my mom and dad were in uh, about a mile away from where my mom and dad lived, which ended up being, sounds terrifying. Like that sounds like a horrible idea. Um, it ended up being a great, great thing. Mom and dad really loved the kids and took care of the kids. And we all, we all did a lot of stuff together. So, uh, so yeah, we've been in Evergreen uh, since nine, since 2000, uh, sorry, since 2002, we've been in Evergreen since 2002. The decision to, to become an actor, you know, it may not surprise you, Jessica, just cause you and I spent a lot of time late in high school with, uh, with, with, uh, a certain mutual friend. And, uh, it was a very easy decision to decide that I wanted to be an actor. And once I made that decision, I was ridiculously serious about it. And so when I went to college, uh, there was not a lot of uh, feeling around about what major I wanted or, uh, you know, do I want to try this and experiment with this? It was 100% the most serious actor. I was, you know, I, in my, in my um, worldview, I was, I was going to play the Hamlets of the world. I was going to play everything so seriously. I wasn't, there was nothing about comedy that I, I could care less about that. I wanted to be the serious <laughs> actor. And uh and I spent all four years doing that, right? I got cast in musicals and I did some comedies and I never, I never really thought about comedy as anything. I just thought, you know, comedy's comedy. I'm, I want to be a serious actor. So then moved to New York with that, with concept. And I, you know, with it, I was very, within the first two, on my second audition, I got cast in an equity show uh, that was a, a tour around the country as young Abe Lincoln. In the musical, young Abe Lincoln. Uh, it was uh, it was hilarious. It was it was six actors. Oh god, it was awful. It was awful. Um, it was. Yeah, I know. Who knew? Who knew that he had a girlfriend that also doubled as mom in the show that was played by none other later in another production than Gail Montgomery. That was creepy. I mean, I will admit that that was a very very strange thing. Uh, so yeah, so I, you know, I got cast in this show and I went, I, I, and again, serious actor going to be a nomad acting, you know, kind of doing the boards and let's, let's go. And we would travel in this converted van that was like an extended Ford Econoline van that had all of our set, all of our costumes. And it had a row of airplane seats that they bolted into for the back seats that three of us could sit in. And then a seat, uh, you know, the driver's seat, the, pass the passenger seat up front, and then a bucket seat that sat in the middle of those two. And we did that for six months. Uh, it was awful. It, was it sounds, awful. Like, like, it we sounds had, like you were circus performers, really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were gypsies, to say the very least. Did right? you, like, we, we have just a little, did you, was it like a clown car, and you had, like, your bikes in there, and you'd come out? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And we'd set up our set and we would go like the crazy, we would, we would go from like, we played the Kennedy center. We played the main stage at the Kennedy center. They bust in 5,000 kids. And here we were, you know, like these professionals were, were playing, you know, this show, it's an hour long show. We do three shows in a day. All right, this is great. And then we would leave drive. And the next day we would be in the Kafna gymnatorium of some small little school where we couldn't even find room for our set. We were like, well, we'll hang this drape and then we'll do the show. Like that's, that's what we'll do. 
Um, oh, it was so humbling. <laughs> and I, again, I'm like, I'm a serious director. I'm like, I'm doing my warm ups. I'm I'm getting into the character. By the end of it, I was like, yeah. All right, let's go ahead and step out on stage. Young Abe Lincoln. Oh my gosh. Now, wait yeah. a second. Really quickly, I just had a question. Um, did you meet Gail in acting yeah. school? Is that where you met her at, at the College of Santa Fe? Uh, and that's how you kind of ended up in this I did. caravan of gypsies performing Abe Lincoln. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's totally what happened. Yeah, so, so we were... Um, you know, which is crazy. My my freshman year, she was a sophomore, she's an older woman. I don't mean to uh, she and Gail she has a stunningly beautiful voice and she knew it, which just meant I couldn't stand her. And I had come from a private school, which meant she couldn't stand me. Right. So that's kind of how, how it started. And then we ended up in a show. We ended up in a show together. We played we were in Sweet Charity and she was a lead, she was a supporting lead, and I was a chorus boy. And couldn't stand it. I mean, like, couldn't stand her. And she was also engaged, and this is completely true, uh, to a professional bodybuilder uh, who was like 5'11", 225. At this point in life, I'm six foot tall and maybe 145 pounds. Maybe. Like, if I'm lucky, I'm not much. And, uh, and it, I could, it, was, it was unfathomable to me to think that somebody could be engaged at the age of 19, right? And so... We all went out on this this kind of group outing to to a bowling alley. That bowling alley alley is now uh, Meow Wolf in Santa Fe. Oh just for my the record. god, that's, so that's fun! We <laughs> of course and, it is. Uh, and so we went to that bowling alley, and suddenly I was like, "Oh, that is a person in high waisted mom jeans that I'm a lot more interested in than I thought." And so then I I pursued pretty hard, um, and. Uh, yeah, and and broke up an engagement, and then we dated for all all four years. I went to Europe after after college for three months, and I broke up with her. I was like, I can't, I can't have a I can't have a girlfriend and be in Europe, right? Like, and that was that was a tough moment for all of us. And uh, and then we you know got back got back together, and then we said we're moving to New York City together. So uh, that's amazing, what amazing. So so where in all of the serious acting? Did you make this, I think, like a complete pivot? Because I really do think of you as being kind of a, com a comedic genius and a, an amazing pair awesome. of co comedians, right? You make me laugh on your YouTube channel. Yeah. You make me laugh when you perform for or you, and you show up for workshops. You're funny, funny people. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, it's uh, when I was in Young Abe Lincoln, there was an, a fellow actor whose name was Michael Joyner, and he was the funniest guy I'd ever met in my life. Like, I had never met anybody who was a physical comedian, but also incredibly smart. And he was my roommate, uh, and we spent hours and hours and hours together. So after the first month, I, I started to see the magic that he could that he could do in a room with with people, with, with stressful situations, just with, with all of that stuff, he could, he could just maneuver the room in a way that I'd never, I'd never seen before. And he started teaching me about what was funny and what was not and how to craft jokes and kind of how to kind of think from a, from a, a point of view that had a reference that came from, from being funny. And uh, that really started it. You know, I never in New York, I never was in a lot of comedy. You know, I went on to do the famous, um, 
you'll appreciate this. I got I got two reviews when I was in New York City. One in in backstage for a show called Planet Planet of the Mutagens, which is a, another story entirely of itself. And the other was in the New York Times as Waldo in Where's Waldo the Musical, <laughs> which if you look if you look at what Waldo uh -huh. looks like. And then you look at me, you kind of go, oh, that's yes. great casting. That's just really smart casting. Um, and I walked into the audition room as a fellow Albuquerque Academy actor walked out of that, uh, walked out of that room. And he turned to me and I was like, Nick Paoni? And he goes, Bruce Montgomery? And uh, and then he and I ended up on tour, exact, very similar tour, except this time it had two vans and a couple more actors, uh, ended up on tour together for several months. Um, really? Yeah, I, I mean, crazy. Yeah, yeah. Nick, Nick and I spent a lot of, a lot of time together. That is so, amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, from, from being funny, it really didn't happen, I guess... I guess it just developed over time, and then and then I didn't start doing improv, and that improv was where it really the light turned on for me. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't start doing improv until 2006. I wish I had found it when I was back in New York City because I mm. think it just would have very much changed um, the stuff that I did. Uh, and I found it in in 2006. And as soon as I did it, like we did a we had a group of people, some fellow actors that we did shows with and stuff, and and one of them is a, a director for a local high school. He, he teaches you know acting. And he said, hey, I've got a friend who just left uh, Second City who's coming to, to Colorado. And they're doing, um, you know, they used to do all the high school reach out and do classes for high school kids and stuff. So that's how I know her. Um, what if we brought her up and we did like a, like a six-week master class and we all pay a hundred bucks. And uh, that was the best hundred dollars I've ever spent in my mm -hmm. life. I did, we did the first class and suddenly my brain just went, I want to do a whole bunch more of this. This is incredible. You know, I just want to do this for a while. And um, and actually, we still do it. We, um, we're performing tonight. We, we have our, uh, we do two, uh, we, we perform twice a year with the same group that was formed in 2006. <gasps> and uh, we we perform to, to tonight, tomorrow night for uh, a couple of packed houses, which will be a lot of fun. That oh is so God. cool. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you use the improv outside of performing shows because it seems like it is a backbone yeah. to the work that you're doing now. Sure. Sure. So, uh, in 2010, uh, 2011, I went back to school. I was running the, um, it organization for the Denver center for the performing arts, which is this huge regional theater company. It's, it's really cool. And, I wanted to go get my MBA because I thought it would allow me the opportunity to move up in that organization. So I was running IT. I wanted the opportunity to run more stuff. So, hey, I'll go get my MBA. The CEO, uh, the chairman of the board and the CEO of the Denver Center at that time had been the chancellor of DU for like 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, to ingratiate myself, I will go get a master's degree, an MBA at uh, DU. So I went and... Uh, I did that and it was a great experience. Uh, and we had a, an entrepreneurship track where they kept asking us like, what do, you, what do you love to do? Can you turn that into a business? What do you love to do? Can you turn in that, that into a business? Now, I, I kind of grew up professionally after acting. I 
ended up in management consulting for a lot of years. I worked for a big five consulting firm. It's where I got my IT experience and that kind of stuff. And, and for me, all of those fluffy communications classes drove me like how to listen better. And then you do these things and it drives me crazy. And then how to communicate better. And you're like, oh my God, this is killing me. And I, you know, I, I had, at that point, I'd been doing improv pretty seriously for four years. I had started performing professionally at the Denver Center at that time. Um, I, I, was, I was running their IT organization and then I would leave and go perform at the Denver Center as an improv comedian, right? Like, so I would do these two things, which meant I had to make sure the tickets got sold, right? Like that's, that was one of my, I owned all of the ticketing system. And, uh, yeah, it's funny. And so, so I kept coming back to like, I, in this entrepreneurship class, like I, I love improv. There's nothing that I've ever done in my life that I didn't go, oh, oh yeah, no, I need to do this a lot more. And, uh, and so I kept coming back to that and I was like, well, I wouldn't want to give a fluffy improv class to a bunch of business professionals. I wonder if there's any neuroscience about what happens in the brain and, you know, how that applies to improv. And so in class, I'm, I'm literally sitting in class and I open up my computer and somebody's droning on with, you know, in like another accounting class. I'm, like, huh, I'm just going to type in neuroscience and improv. And immediately this this uh, video of a TED talk of this uh, researcher named Charles Lim, who lives in San Francisco now. He actually lives um, uh, out there. And um, it was about what happens in the brain. He, d he did jazz musicians. So he put jazz musicians in functional magne magnetic resonance imaging machines, fMRI. And uh, he put them in there and he basically said, all right, I want you to play a memorized piece of music. And now I'm going to I'm going to set a beat and I want you to play an improvised piece of music. And he went back and forth. These people were in fMRI for like an hour and they were doing these things. And he watched what happened in the brain and they recorded all this data. Then they chunked the, through, the, through that data for a year and a half. And they, what they found was improv musicians, jazz musicians, suppress the executive judge of the brain. And then while that happens, this whole series of interconnections in all, we call the default mode network, all around the brain light up. They're having to do with collaboration and listening and communication, et cetera. And uh, with no proof at all, I just went, this is exactly what happens in comedic improv. I know it. I know this happens. I, I'm just going to say it happens now and let's go forward. And uh, as we went on after a few years, I decided it was really important to maybe be a part or, or start our own study. So I actually started um, a grassroots campaign. I, I found a researcher out of Harvard uh, that we were going to study comedic brains in a way that was very similar mm -hmm. to what they did with, with uh, Charles Lim. And, uh, and I, we, we started advertising. We started uh, collecting money. We, we uh, had a couple of um, articles run in local newspapers. And then the researcher called me and said, I can't do this. And we were like, what do you mean? You, what do you mean you can't do this? Like, this is crazy. So I flew out to Boston and I had a meeting with him and he said, yeah, no, my, my, um, my professor who's, you know, in charge of my PhD basically said that I can't do anything other than what he tells me to do. So I can't, I can't do this thing. Now we had raised like $30,000. Um, we were, we had, we had found a lab that was going to host us like all this stuff. And I came home I'm completely dejected. I was just devastated by the fact that this dream that I had that we were going to do with this thing it just evaporated. And 
I went into work the next day for an oil and gas company. No, no, I wasn't at an oil and gas company. I was at, uh, I was at Denver Center. And I, I popped up with an email and I just wrote to Charles. I found his email. He was at the University of California, California San Francisco. And uh, I emailed him and I just said, hey, I've got this idea. You're doing these interesting things. I, I'm putting together this study, you know, whatever. And in three hours, by that night, I had a response back from Charles, which just tells you that neuroscientists and, and he's an ENT don't get a lot of email. That's, that's <laughs> really all that means. And, uh, it's a and we started this conversation. We, we started this conversation. And by the end of the conversation, he just said, hey, I've got this study. I'm funded by the NEA. We're doing comedic improvisers. We've been working with a group out of San Francisco. Carly, you probably know them, Speechless. Um, and do you want to be a part of it? And both Gail and I were like, yes, uh, yes, yes, we awesome. do. We'll be a part of that. Uh, and we, uh, we flew out to California. We, we had our brain studied. Uh, the, the data has come out since that, um, exactly what I predicted back in, you know, 2012, uh, it was true. You know, that all the things that shut down the, it, the other networks that light mm -hmm. up within the brain, um, light up. And, uh, that's just really cool. That's, that's so really I'm cool. wondering. Yeah, and you've written a couple books. Well, you've written a couple books about this too, correct? So, you want this, to this is true. Yeah, we, um, yeah, with with a wife. Like we wrote this together. We wrote two books together. Which um, she doesn't like me to say it. Uh, it. It's not an easy thing to write a book with a spouse. I'll just I say that out loud. Like, that. If you want to challenge yourself, um, you know, <laughs> sit down and have your wife edit your stuff or you edit your wife's stuff. It's never a good conversation. You're like, oh, oh, you don't like how I started that paragraph? Huh? Okay, okay. Well, how would you start it? Like it just, it's not, it's not good. Um, so, so we wrote a book called the improv mindset, and then we wrote a book called change a leader's guide to fixing shit, shit, which is based on the I Ching, uh, similar model. We, we, and the nice thing is the second time around, it was much easier to write a, a book We're we've started outlining our third book, which we believe will be titled business relationship ninja or business relationship IQ all about using the frameworks of things like improv and emotional intelligence to better further your uh your your business relationships how, how you can be better in those so. so bruce i i'd love to go back to that moment when you had the aha like oh my gosh i love this what was it mm -hmm. that you loved what was it that you were like oh wow i need more of this in my life yeah, because most people yeah. hear improv and they're like, so, I want to run in the opposite direction. Yeah. You ran to it. <laughs> yeah. There's a little like vomit burp that comes up. They're just like, mm, <laughs> mm, no, I don't want I don't want to do that, right? That's totally that's that's totally what happened. You know, as I mean, if I look back at it as a theme of I'm a serious actor, I do things serious, you know, like commit hard, I do things seriously. Um what I realized was I needed more spontaneity in the way that I live and the way that I act. And improv unlocked that in a way that I didn't know it was going to. It just was one of those natural progressions of, oh, I, hey, I just happened to try this thing. And once I was out there and once you get to that point of complete trust with the, per you know, the person that you're with or people that you're with, if you're doing a you know, multi-person scene, knowing that no matter what happens, I'm there to make that person look good and they're there to make me look good. They're, you're just going to be successful. 
You know, it may not be the best scene on the planet. It still will be successful. And by the way, nine times out of 10, it's outrageously successful. And that was, it was terrifying. It was gut-wrenching. It was everything that you feel of, we, we started, which is crazy. We did this six-week workshop and we ended the six-week workshop with a herald which is a long form uh, improv. It's, it's usually done. It's like, can be anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. It's the same group of people telling some stories on stage. And there, there are other mechanics that go on, you know, with it that you use as the work of the Herald. The point is though, you're up there for 45 minutes in front of a group of people that have never seen anything like it before in their lives. And we did that Herald and it was just mind blowing to me how funny it was, how in the moment we were, how much we were listening, how exhausted I was when I was when I was done, because it just takes so much effort to stay that present, right? To stay right here. Um, and and so that aha moment for me was just, uh, you know, one, the the laughter from the crowd is, you know, intoxicating, right? That's just it just is. And uh and once I had that, it made it so much easier to do any kind of public public speaking. You know, the 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 skill of getting up and being able to do what we're doing, even what we're doing right now, right, is is something that you learn and can be learned. It just takes practice, and that's improv just gave me a huge leg up. Um, you know, it's interesting to see improv actors who get into acting, and then actors get into improv, and they're very different in the way that they improvise. Hmm. They are. They are very unique. Yeah, I, I want to, I would say that the freedom, the freedom of an improviser that becomes an actor is they're, they're able to do many, many more off the wall things than an actor who becomes an improviser, who is still looking for the structure of story in a way that I think is just different in my experiences I've had, you know, with, with those, those two groups, um, you know, which one is better, which I don't think there's either one that's better. It's just we arrive to things, I think, in a slightly different way. When I've gone to see long form, I went to see long form Downton Abbey recently. This was a couple of years ago, but um, at BATS, which is the Bay hey. Area Theater Sports Company, which is really fun, um, really accomplished um, improvisers, too. Um, and I went to see a long form Downton yep. Abbey and there was an audience member who had arrived a little bit late, like before they had sort of done, after they had done their spiel about how this was improvised. And at the end, there was a question and answer session. And this person refused to believe that they had not had a script. Like he could not, he, he was like, what are you talking about? Like he, he had missed the intro, arrived, and he he then yeah. was completely confounded, yeah. um, which I thought was funny. But the other thing you mentioned that I just love about about watching improv or even being involved in it, and both Jessica and I have taken you know classes, not not as you know to perform professionally, but to just develop ourselves. But um, I love the aspect of improv that you talked about, which is that you are there to make the other person the best that they can be. And so I know you do a lot of work in bringing improv to professional teams, but to me, the best teams mm -hmm. are, are really using the tenets of improv all the time, right? Whether they know it or not. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, right. Whether whether you you know it or not, that's right. So one interesting thing that we've got going on to extend, Carla, I think we've told you about this. That it's been a, a you know a, a one of our BHAGs, our big hairy audacious goals, is to work with either a professional sports team or a uh, or a Division One athletic team. Right. Taking so there's a lot of data out there that shows that the more creative that you can solve the problem of scoring a goal, making a basket, you know, whatever it is in the moment. They actually did this with a bunch of, uh, they, they analyzed the um, the FIFA goals that were scored between 2014 and 2018, if I remember correctly. And they had a rubric for analyzing what made a creative goal. So, so you know, the, and then they would look back after a goal was scored, they would look at the 10 plays before that. And they analyzed like, hey, what, what happened here? And what was, you know, the what happened that was creative? And what they found was the more creative a team was at solving that problem, the more likely they then were to go further on in the World Cup. So, you know, it, it's this concept of, of this this researcher, Daniel Memmert, out of out of the he's he's somewhere in in um, in Europe, in kind of northern Europe. And if you can be creative in the moment and also bring that the mechanics of improv and what we love is the hey don't get on people when they made a mistake celebrate the failure let's move on you know that that kind of stuff support your teammates at all your co costs trust your instincts listen to certain you know these these things say yes and these things that are such core to improv um really have an impact could have an impact on a on a sports team so we've We've branded uh, a, a program called Sports Prov. Uh, we did a, an alpha program or beta program a couple of months ago with a local team, and uh, now are extending it out. We have we've partnered with a, a head coach out of CSU, uh, Colorado State University, who who used to coach the women's basketball team, and basically getting that word out into the the um, the general world to, to get to to drum up interest. The concept being that, hey, there used to be a time when people never practiced mindfulness when they were in sports, mm -hmm. and now everybody does it, right? There used to be a time when people did, didn't do yoga, and now they do. There used to be a time when people, like Walter Payton did ballet in the 1980s, and everybody was like, that's the dumbest thing ever, and then he was, you know, one of the best running backs of all time. You know, those those are the things that if we can bring this next layer of, of improv to the world in sports and sports performance, um, I think we've got something really special there. So yeah, we've, we're actively um, branding and trademarking and doing all that exciting stuff. So cool. When you've been building this business, what have, what have been the hard decisions? The way you're talking about it, it makes it, I feel like this was a piece of cake for you. It all just came together. It was inspiration coupled with the skills I learned in graduate school. And my yeah. wife happens to be my perfect partner. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that there have been some choices that you've had to make about how you've structured the business, how you've built it, um, bumps along the yeah. way. I, I'm curious as kind of looking at it from the entrepreneurial side, what have been the tough choices sure. Yeah, I, you know, where I am, uh, where I have the ability to be risky in things like improv and take huge risks, uh, financial risks are not an easy thing for me to do. Uh, so 
you know, I have felt uh, personally felt the responsibility to kind of keep things going. So for the longest time, you know, we officially incorporated in 2013 with Experience Yes, our company. Uh, and then I went full time with Experience Yes in 2000, September of 2019, which was shitty timing. Uh, <laughs> you know, sure. It was one of those things where we had, uh, yeah. Yeah, a bunch of stuff. We we had you know, booked a number of huge keynotes, like you know, thousand person keynotes, and and a number of workshops, and kind of all of these things that had lined up for us for the for the year of 2020, and then um, then the world changed, and so you know, it was the point to come back to, which I did in May of 21, uh, experience yes full time. And then just really bite the apple as hard as we could to to the success that those are difficult decisions for me. I think Gail is much more like, hey, it's all going to work out. We're, we're fine. Um, I I I want to be that positive. I'm not always that positive. And so um, so it means that I'm up a lot at three o'clock in the morning with my head spinning going, hey, am I going to be able to retire? Um, you know, that that kind of stuff, because you you know, we do everything together, uh, which also means we have to sell together. So we're the biggest challenge. I think we've been very fortunate, you know, and I'll continue to knock wood on that. We've been very fortunate in the, the work that we've sold. It, it just needs to be, we just need to keep to grow it and scale it and grow it and scale it. And those are like, we're, we're actively redoing our website right now. Um, we had a marketing group come in a couple of months ago to help us revision our programs and and what we're going to market with. Uh, those are big decisions to leap out and go, hey, yeah, I know we've never done an online platform play before and that we can sell a program that's online and, you know, we'll facilitate it. Uh, and we've got to do that. So let's figure out how to do that. And um, those are those are stressful and, you know, they're they're fun and they're they're exhilarating and then they're terrifying uh it's it's tough and we're we're generally good when we fight like really good when we we fight and we fight like any couple right like well we we do a lot of fighting and uh and we we know that it usually has to do with something that we're anxious about some decision that we're having to make or we're in the process of making that we know is is the undercurrent for what that stress is and um once we can name it then we're fine so yeah, it's been it's been interesting. I'm really curious. It feels like this is your everything. You are involved mm. in this work that is also your passion. You're doing it with your spouse and what do you ever mm -hmm. like just do something else and say let's just put that aside and what like what else is in the way? <laughs> What else is going on? Because even the stuff that I've really loved you, okay. maybe you can tell us about your moth experience, but I mean, it's all so interconnected. Oh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Now, I mean, I think that's, I think one of the realizations and, and perhaps you guys have had this same thing, you know, as you've, as you've crested your fifties is the, um, I, I've gotten to the point where I no longer give a shit about other people's opinions about what I do <laughs> and why I do it, right? Like, you know, I do it because it's fun and I do it because I like to laugh. And and I've, I've really tried to structure my life as I've gotten older that if it's not fun, then it's not worth it. Like, let's let's do the things that are fun, that enrich your life, that are, you know, that are important to do. 
And it doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, struggle or, or you know, challenges. It just means that the end result is it's going to be fun and you're going to learn something. Um, and you know, improv has informed a lot of that decision making, like like dashboard improv, for example, the, the YouTube channel that Gail and I started, you know, came out of a meditation of, hey, that sounds like so it's something we do naturally anyway. Let's go. Let's go film 58, 59 episodes and see how it goes. Right. Let's let's put those out there and see how they're received. Um, and so, you know, the other things I do, um, I love, I, you know, I love to play golf. Right. So, and we love to travel. So it's those things of where can we fit in the travel piece? Because that's very improv to us. Um, you know, you go, you're, you're thrust into a new situation. you got to figure a bunch of stuff out often very quickly. Sometimes you get yourself in trouble. Hopefully you get yourself out of trouble and you have a partner that you're relying on. Like that's all improv, right? That's all improv. And so, you know, when you say that, it makes me feel so limited, um, Carla, because ah, it's like, no. yeah, you're right. I, I don't, don't think that. I, I am interested in performing. You know, I, I, I'm interested in performing. The Moth was a good example of that, where that one was uniquely mm -hmm. mine. Um, I did the World Whistling Championships in 2018. I don't mean brag. Um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, there, the first question you should be asking is, there's a world whistling whistling championship. Of course um, there is. And, of course. Uh, yeah, that is that was that was like being in the middle of a Christopher Guest movie, but for real. It was it was bizarre. Oh man. Like I mean, there were people there from all over the world. They uh they took West whistling very seriously. There were people there. So this was 2018 before the masks kind of took over the world in 2020, right? That were wearing masks because they wanted to keep their, their lips perfect, perfectly hydrated. They, they had very special Stop. lip balm that they would, they would use. Um, there was a, no, this is true. Um, there was a group of, um, there was a group of, of Japanese men who was, they were like a K-pop band, but whistling and from Japan, right? So they, they each had, there were four of them. They each had a different colored hair, you know, like one pink, one blue, one white. Um, and they, they whistled, they whistled as a group. Um, and you're like, and then they would dance, they would dance and then they'd whistle some more. Like, like I, I thought it was a joke. Like to me, it was a joke. Like, Hey, I was in the middle. I was I was on a um, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, doing some consulting work, and I was in a hotel room over Memorial Day weekend, and I didn't have anything to do because the the work wasn't happening over the weekend, and I literally did this. I was like, "Hey, you know, I like to whistle. I wonder if there's a whistling championship. You know, like a competition or something." Google. Oh my God, there's a there's a whistling championship. Click. Oh my God, they're accepting um, submissions right now. Uh, all right. So I recorded in the hotel room. I recorded two submissions and, uh, and, and laughed. I was like, this is hilarious. I'm just happy that I'm doing this. Like, this is funny. It's something to do. And then two weeks later had a, you've been accepted. And it just was like, Oh no. Oh, no. So I what did you whistle? Like, can you give us a little, I, there's no way can I can give us a little, little sample. I whistled, uh, <laughs> I whistled, uh, <laughs> I don't have my balm and I've been drinking coffee. So I'm a little dehydrated. So it may not be as good as you want it to. Um, let me see. All right. Uh, I will, I will try. So, um, all right. Uh, let me get into character. Um, cause it's musical whistling. Oh, yeah. So you have to take it very, very seriously. Yeah. Um, 
All right, here we go. There you go. How did you like know that you were a good whistler? Like, what did you wake up one morning and say, "I am going to be"? I that was a uh, world class whistler. Um, yeah, no, uh, that's I. You know, it's just one of those things, right? So, my grandfather always whistled. So, I have these memories of my grandfather. He would whistle wherever he would go, and I would go stay with my. My, like three to six weeks every summer. Um, they lived in Florida. So I would go and be there. And uh, I just remember him whistling. So I always whistled. It was nothing, you know, nothing th that great. I just whistled. And then uh, what I found is more and more people as I would whistle or they would whistle, I think, well, that's, I mean, I think I can sound better than that, right? Like, I think it's just, I've got a cleaner tone. Um, and then I just, as a joke, <laughs> went ahead and uh, submitted. And, and they only gave... For the record, they only gave prizes at the World Whistling Championships for first through third. So I say that I took fourth. Uh, that's that's where I'm. That's where I'm sticking to my performance level. Oh, I just love it. Well, you know, you one way to look at it is that you're doing a lot of the same things, and huh, maybe you should do other things. I look at what you're doing as no. cohesive. Yeah. You have, I mean, yeah. it's not one track. There's a lot of different things, but yeah. it's a cohesive set mm -hmm. of interests and talents and skills yeah. you're developing. Yeah. I think it's so cool. And I love that you just are yeah. like, sure, oh, I'm going to just throw my hat in the ring. I would love to, I think Christopher yeah. Guest should be informed of this opportunity. Absolutely. Oh, if you man. have not reached out I, to I, him I, and Eugene Levy, to create this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, yeah. If any of your listeners, uh, you know, my, uh, my idea is that it is centered around somebody who puts, who, who spikes the lip balm and kills maybe the, maybe the K-pop group. And then now it solved, right? Like what, what happened? And then you uncover all of these like bizarre people. There was a guy there. There were, he was from, he was a general in the Italian army and he was retired and he flew over from, I think he lived in Rome. The guy could whistle two tones, which is not like, that's impressive. It's not, um, it's not impossible. What was crazy is he could whistle two tones and then diverge the tones. So it wasn't just like, Hey, it's a low A and a high A, right? Like just parallel tones. They, they could, he could control and diverge them. I'd never heard anything like that. Amazing. Ever. It was amazing. And then Gail, Gail does like to say when I tell this story that she should win an award because she had to sit through, and this is not an exaggeration, 13 hours of musical whistling. <laughs> I'd still be in I'd still be in recovery. Oh I'm telling you right now. That would be a that would be a yeah, don't whistle. Me, right? no, no. I can't even take it when my husband whistles in the kitchen. I'm like, I don't, I can't. <laughs> 
Yeah, just just no, just stop, just stop. Yeah, yeah, Gail. I think Gail is that way now. Oh my as god. Well. <laughs> well, I would love to hear a little bit more about the multi generational home that you're that you're living in right now. You mentioned oh. I've never heard the expression, and yeah. we have an old bird. Um. <laughs> Uh, yes, we have an old yes. nest. Yes, yeah. I mean, you know, we've been we've been very fortunate. Um, we so Gail has Gail has three fathers, if you will. Um, there was the father who she's like, yeah, that was the guy who left me and my mother when I was three weeks old, right? So sperm donor is the way she describes it. And then her mother has a knack for for you know attracting really great men, and so she was married to Steve. Uh, from, I don't know, Gail was probably in first or second grade till Gail was an early teenager. And then they got divorced. And then she met, um, her mom met Jack, uh, who they were married kind of the age of Gail was 16 and on. Jack, big Jack is what we called him. Our son, Jack, who is our oldest, um, is named for Jack. And uh, he moved in with us in 2002. 10 and lived with us until 2017. And then in 2020, um, he, uh, Steve, who is Gail's kind of really first, you know, kind of very important paternal figure, uh, moved in it, literally February 1st of, of 2020. And then, and then the world changed. Wow. So that was an interesting um, transition. And uh, we have a big walkout basement that uh, is, is plenty. It's a, you know, it could basically like a master suite with a little kitchenette in it. And, uh, that's where he cool. lives. I don't know if we, Gail and I, will have the same opportunity with our kids. Uh, they certainly have seen a, a, a model that has worked for us as a family that when we, when and as we get older, um, if we end up in that, you know, that position to, to want to move in, um, that maybe, uh, you know, we could go live with, with one of them. Who knows? You know, it's, it's one of those things that it, it was really great when the kids were young. It's been good with Steve because we're providing a really valuable service to him and he's providing one to us. You know, we can, we can, we play, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever played Settlers mm -hmm. of Catan or Catan. Um, it's a, it's a board game. Sure. We play that almost every day, if not Amazing. Times a day. So we, a lot of our time is spent, you know, we're going to sit down we're going to play a game together and then we'll eat dinner together. And then he'll go back down to his, to his master suite and um, and we'll hang out. That's really so cool. It works out well. Amazing. My, my parents um, <clears throat> bought a home here in Austin, uh, my dad and myself, uh, about a year and a half oh, nice. ago. It has just been so nice for them to be <laughs> in town. And um, <laughs> of course, my kids are, are quite a bit older. My youngest uh, is turning 15 next week. <laughs> but my brother's daughter just turned four. And so they're really getting to be part of her growing up. And that was the way I grew up. My grandparents, mm -hmm. I saw them almost every week, both both sides, my dad's mm -hmm. mother and my yeah. uh, mother's parents. So I I think it's so great for kids to have mm -hmm. extended family mm -hmm. around. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's really neat. It's a, it's a unique, very special relationship mm -hmm. that you have with a grandparent that you don't get with any other relative, I think. And if you're lucky enough to be a favorite, if you're lucky enough to be in that, you know, that stable of, hey, yeah, no, I get what you do. Like our kids just had a great opportunity. They were the only ones around. My, my sister has kids. My brother has kids. Right. They all live elsewhere. And Jack and Paige mm -hmm. were right here. So they got, 
they really got the best of my mom and dad. Um, and the best of Steve and the best of Great. Jack. You know, it's just so it's good. good. Yeah, I, my parents live in San Francisco, so I see them quite a bit. In fact, they're coming over for dinner tonight, and uh, you know, so nice. Yeah. Really? What are you? I making? am making. I'm making grilled making? shrimp and a really delicious peach and arugula salad. And I may make a little asparagus galette. Ooh. And then I'm going to probably make a crumble or something. I don't normally cook like this, but Lily, my oldest, is going to Italy and she leaves tomorrow um, for the semester. So it's her it's her last meal for wow. a few months. Yeah, her for a few months. Here, yeah. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah, we'll, I'll be over. I'll, be, I'll, I'll expect to arrive, you know, maybe about seven. So, you. Uh, you know, look <laughs> so, you know, we're going to transition in a few minutes to, to doing a little look back on high school. But before we do that, we really are curious to know what's like, what's the future hold for you? Like, what are you thinking about? Maybe, you know, hmm. we're in our 50s. What are you thinking about between now and, say, the next decade? Where are you going? Mm. Uh, I mean, we want to, so, uh, you know, from a, from a professional and personal standpoint, we want to blow up exactly what you, we, we, we want to blow up the training and development world with, you know, this, this concept that, and it's what we've built our new program on, um, this concept that you go to training for two or three days and yeah. then you come home and you basically, you basic, you know, kind of gone to rehab and then you've come home. Right. And it's, how, how do I how do I keep that model going so that I can continue to support my behavior? So, you know, the programs that we're building are are driven by, you know, our our friendly faces um, online with material that can that is consumed over the course of months. Right. So that you're not you're not just looking at one thing. So, for example, we've done a 30 days to the to an improv mindset uh, course where every week, every day, even through the weekend, you're working on something. And it's five to 10 to 20 minutes a day, as opposed to really being put into a, a you know, a, a group and experiencing it for, for a small amount of time. Right. It, it's the same amount of hours. Right. It's just over a longer period. So that engagement is what we're seeing with our clients is, is something that's really, um, they, they can appreciate because they also we're finding a lot of our clients can't send people to classes for multiple days at a time. They just can't do it. Like, I don't have the time. Sorry, I can't do it. Um, so we want to blow up that model. We want to make business relationship ninjas, you know, everywhere. That, that would be the great thing from a professional standpoint. From a personal standpoint, we just want to keep doing what we're doing, right? We want to keep having fun. Um, we want to we want to travel a lot more. We want to continue um, experiencing, trying new things. Because that's where our brains really enjoy it, whether it's a new food. Yeah. Look, for example. All right. Here's a good example of something that we're, all right, it's, it's a nerdy thing and I'm excited. About it. Um, Steve, 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 when he moved in, he came upstairs after he had moved in and unpacked everything. And he said, I got this. And it was a giant black ceramic crock. And he said, this is to ferment stuff. And we were like, Okay, like what? And he was like, oh, I don't know, sauerkraut or kimchi. Or, you know, and, oh, yeah, well, we should do that. And that went up on a shelf until five days ago. And so it's been on a shelf for three years ago. Five days ago, Gail bought two heads of, of cabbage. And I got up at like five o'clock in the morning and I saw the heads of cabbage and I went, we're doing it. We're making sauerkraut. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. We're going to make sauerkraut. 
Um, so we were on day five into our sauerkraut experiment. And that's the yeah. stuff I just want to keep doing, right? Like the, hey, let's try this. Let's do this. You know, we might fail at it. It might be a tremendous success. Who knows? We will never know until we try. And that's what I, I think for me to age and age well, I want to keep trying those new things. One of the things that I, I've seen and saw with my parents as they got more and more challenged is that they they were really restricted in their ability mm -hmm. to try new things. And that routine, and, you know, partly because of dementia, partly because of some other brain challenges that they had, it just, you know, it locked into routine. And mm -hmm. I want to avoid that mm -hmm. as long as possible. I highly recommend beekeeping. Okay. Because you get Why? amazing honey. I mean, sauerkraut is great, but <laughs> the honey is really good. My husband does a little beekeeping on the side. You're saying that you get more bees with honey than you do with sauerkraut? I think I hear what you're saying. I think I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, it's not that like coming up to a friend's house with a nice, pretty jar of sauerkraut isn't a really great housewarming gift. <laughs> but. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, no, it looks great. Mm. It smells like a foot. It's, I'm sure it's delicious. Thank you. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. For sure. There you go. Everybody loves great it. Great for your digestion. Bruce's famous sauerkraut. Look, oh I love God. sauerkraut, so I'd be really happy. But I will say, honey definitely goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> so does sauerkraut, for the record. So awesome. I love your I love your vision for the future for yourself, yeah. both professionally and personally. Once again, I agree with with Jessica. I just feel like it's not about being limited. It's about being really fully integrated. I think it just is amazing. And what a wonderful, what a wonderful present and yeah. future you seem to have set up for yourself. Great. Well, and I I imagine you guys have this same, you're bent in the same way. You've you've started a podcast with like, hey. We've been talking about this. Let's finally do it. And then you do it, right? Like that's mm -hmm. that's the kind of model I love of the just world the world changes yeah. by people who get things done. And sometimes Bias you just gotta get action. stuff done. Bias and, to action. And that's what yeah. I love about yeah. what you've done. That's right. That's <laughs> okay. Right. Shall we go back to high school a little? Oh man. All right. You remember I was only there a couple years, right? So I don't have I don't have the hey in Bandelier or hey in Bear Canyon. You know, I don't have a well, lot we're of those. Wondering, stories, so. Both we're remembering that you came to our school junior year. Is that correct? That's correct. Jenna App um, and I. I knew Jennifer from Gallup. Okay, we've got we were both from Gallup. So, um, so I grew up in in Northern California. I grew up in around the Bay Area. I, I should say, I grew up. I lived my first seven years of life in Northern California. Um, my dad was a, uh, a in private practice as a psychiatrist in in uh, California. He had come back from Vietnam. Uh, he was a surgeon in Vietnam. Uh, had contracted hepatitis C, if I remember correctly, and could no longer at that point. Um, practice surgery, so became a psychiatrist, and hated hated private practice. And he had, I, and I don't know how he had found this. Maybe he just wanted to be as far away from his parents as possible. He did his residency as a surgeon 
in Tuba City, Arizona, which is in the middle of the Navajo Indian Reservation, right? It's a very small city, place that dad always loved. And opportunity to leave California, my dad said, I want to go back and work with, work with the Navajo again. So he joined on with the um, public health service and moved us to Gallup. Now I was, I was seven, my sister was 16, and my brother was 14. Uh, they had a rough go. Like they just, you know, Northern California to Gallup, New Mexico was a very stark contrast, very different um, um, socially. And I, you know, me, I was like, hey, I'm seven. All right. My friends are my friends. I'll figure it out. Right. Um, they were not. And so it was, it was not without its um, very rocky bumps for them. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's where we ended up. So my dad worked at the PHS hospital until he got an opportunity to go work with Vietnam vets. Uh, in Albuquerque, and then finished his career working with Vietnam vets in uh, in Denver. So that's how we had, gotcha. that's kind of the model. All right. We went through. Um, we remember you coming as a junior and remembering thinking, yay, new friends. And, and both you and Jenna just seemed to integrate so seamlessly. And maybe it wasn't like that for you, but it just seemed like you were immediately part of our class. And I liked you both so much. Um, and have actually stayed in touch with both of you. So, oh. so cool. Yeah. Well, I'll slip you a 20 later. <laughs> um, that's very nice of you to say. I did feel very much at home. Like, so I, you know, what was crazy about, about Gallup, New Mexico is, you know, I was, I, I was a decent student in Gallup. And so when I, when I came to the Academy, I actually found out what my scores were when I, when I tested at the Academy, I don't know how I got them. Somebody gave me my scores and my math scores were horrible horrible. Um, my creative writing, my creative writing scores though, were, were really very good. And so that's what got me in there. And I remember, you know, of all the teachers that I had, one of the most impactful was this creative writing teacher that I had in Gallup. And that, that's what catapulted me into kind of the academy lifestyle. I was so fortunate to believe my luck of getting in there. Like it, it was, it was such a great experience for me. And it kicked my ass with my grades. I mean, like, you know, top of the class, top of the class, top of the class. And then you come to the academy, you're like, oh, oh, no, that's not where you are right now. And um, and I had to work hard. I remember I had a class with, with Mr. Entwistle. It was a creative. It was a writing class. It was an English class. And I, I mean, everything I did, I, could, I couldn't get above like a C plus. And I finally wrote a paper on Slaughterhouse-Five that was a B plus. And the only reason why it was a B plus is because I had some misspellings and I was like, that's it. Like I had an A on this thing. Like, okay. So now I know what good writing, you know, like this is what good writing looks like. Okay. I can, I can repeat this now mm -hmm. over and over. Um, so, you know, it was, it was definitely uh, a culture shift for me. And also where I had always been, I, a friend of mine once said, he had he had gone to like a big magnet school, but it was a big magnet science school. And I, I said, how was it for you? And he said, it was great. I was king of the nerds. Like mm -hmm. we were all nerds and I was at the top of that. Well, I was a nerd in Gallup, New Mexico, which means I was at the bottom of everything. And when I got to the academy, <laughs> I got people. to, you know, I got to at least be like, hey, all of us are nerds. This them. is all right. <laughs> I know. Like, oh my God, give me a hug. This is amazing. You know? oh, yeah. Yeah. I was just talking so about funny. some friends about this. Cause I, I've been, I, I 
I'm out of retirement from cross country coaching. I'm doing a little coaching of Piper's cross country team. And what I love most about cross country runners is the the nerd factor. And I was just saying how nerd nerd kids are the best by far. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. And I, I didn't realize how bad it was until I got to the Academy and realized how nerdy everybody else was around me. And I was like, wow. Some of these people even annoy me, and that's science. That's really impressive. Um, well, we'll go back in time. We're just going to go back a little bit. We have 10 quick questions. It's a flash round. You can answer them as quickly as you want. You can also okay. expand a little bit on them. Okay, so number one, who was your high school crush? High school crush, Christine Hahn. I mean, I had a just a giant crush on Christine Hahn, and I – Man, um, yeah, that hundred percent. That's a good one. She's crushable. <laughs> I feel like perhaps this yeah. question won't even apply to you because you came as a junior. But the question is: munch pudding or veal birds? Discuss. Uh, I so I will say I never I don't require I don't recall veal birds and that's not something that I remember I do remember though munch pudding and I never had anything like it in my life until I like, <laughs> so I was in Albuquerque a couple of weeks ago and uh, and I drove Gail it's been a while since I've driven you know it's probably been since the reunion like you know the the 20th reunion since I've driven the campus and I drove the campus and Gail was with me. And I drove around to the side where our cafeteria was, and I, and I just went, this is crazy. Like, I wanted to take you back to a time where we all had physical, like, porcelain plates, real silverware. We all served as waiters at different, like, th- that experience. And then we would be served munch pudding. And she said, what's munch pudding? And I said, well, <laughs> it's a pudding with crunchy stuff in it. I don't know how they made it. It's just that's, that's all I remember. And she was like, well, that, that's nice. And then we drove on. So, um Question three. We were nerds, so who knows if this applies. What clothing brand or brand in general did you rep in high school? I don't think I had a, I, I was not brand affiliated. Um, I think I was kind of all over the map with my shopping from <laughs> JCPenney. So, um, you know, it was, it was whatever I could get. I might have had some, uh, I might have had nice. some Miller, Miller's Outpost jeans that I was proud of. Um, that's good. That's, that's probably good. about it. What car did you drive in high school and how did it meet its demise? Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, Hank and I drove the same car, except his was a four-door automatic and mine was a two-door hatchback. It's a 1983 gold Chevrolet t- Citation. It was, it got the ladies. I mean, that it was amazing was so sexy like that thing i rolled up in that and man it was like the world was my oyster um i sold it when i got to my freshman year of college i uh, i sold that car for 500 dollars, and a week after i sold it the engine blew up so um it was good timing for me i want to know what marketing genius calls a car a citation Yeah, exactly. Like, was it after the horse? Was it just you wanted to get a ticket? Like, and that thing, I mean, it was a four cylinder, so you no. couldn't get up that fast. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Awesome. 
Yeah. Okay, yeah. we've really enjoyed going back in time to um, hear some music that people have remembered from their high school years. And in fact, last night I went down this major OMD um, rabbit hole because of Jocelyn's um, interview last time. So was there a high school song or band that oh, wow. you really remember sort of as the soundtrack to your high school years? A hundred percent you too. And I remember being so jealous and I, I only, I'm sure there were others and Carla, you may have been, and Jessica, you may have been one of them, where Leah went with a group of people to go see um, the Joshua Tree yes, in Las Cruces. And I remember being like, you guys suck. Because <laughs> um, I really wanted to go do that. See the stone set in your eyes See the thorn twist in your side I'll wait for you Slide of hand and twist of faith On a bed of nails she makes me wait And I wait without you I look back and I'm like, oh man, I wish I would have gone to that. You know what's funny, Bruce, is you just mentioned Miller's Outpost. You know, that you maybe you had a pair of jeans for Miller's Outpost. I I got tickets for you two sleeping in front of Miller's Outpost with Damian Sanchez. We, We got there in the middle of the night and slept outside Miller's Outpost. And, you know, back in those days, you had to, like, walk in and buy a ticket, an actual ticket. Yeah, to get a ticket, like a physical ticket. Anyway. Wow. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so what teacher had the greatest impact on you or influence on you? Hmm. I'm going to give two. Um, I think, okay, I'm going to give three. Uh, you know, Mickey Prokopiak obviously uh, had a tremendous impact on me from a theater perspective. I spent a lot of time in his classrooms um, and a lot of time on stage with him. So that, and that just colored a lot of what I did. Uh, the other, the others, and and it was a lot for just calling BS on me um, when I was taking their class, which was the Bull brothers, right? So Chris and Julian Bull. Um, I had never, I'd never been interested in philosophy at all. I'd never read anything I was reading in those classes. Again, remember coming from Gallup, we just were not exposed in the same way that, that people from the academy were exposed to, to literature and, and other. That was a transformative class for me. That made me, it made me feel like an intellect um, because I just, I just was really interested in the stuff that we were reading that I I had no business reading before and, and now was exposed well, to. So. Yeah, those humanities classes were really, really wonderful. What was your favorite hangout spot? Uh, the green room. We, we uh, I mean, Jessica, you spent some time there, I know, uh, in Carla, but uh, the green room was great and mostly playing hearts in the green room. Like that was the, if you were a theater nerd, yeah, you did. that's what you did. You, you, any free time you had, you 
who were drumming up a uh, a game of hearts in in the green. Perfect. What was your high school regret? Do you have one? If you My have high one. school regret, um, yeah, there's not one. I, I'm certain I do, and uh, there's not one that bubbles to mind of like, you know, maybe it's not going to to uh, to Joshua Tree. Oh, I know one. Um, I was thinking about this one this morning because I knew I was getting on with you. I Hank Almi and I had. Do you remember what our senior prank was? We filled Mr. Cuz's office. Filling Mr. Cuz's office. All right, so. Yeah. Yes. So Hank and I workshopped that idea together. And then I didn't get, my parents wouldn't let me go. And I was like, this is the best idea ever. Like our entire class and like, I'm sorry, your grades aren't where they need to be. You need to stay and study. So I didn't get to participate in, in that experience. And that, that's always bitten me a little bit. I'm like, oh man, I, it was great to see it come to fruition. I wish I would have been there um, you know, to, to I have such distinct memories of that night, by the way, loving that. And I'm not saying this to make you feel worse, but I'm actually, I ended up with the stomach flu that night. <laughs> so I literally, we, cause we all spent the night and we were, were camping out on the lawn. That was part of the prank. And I remember like getting to a certain point in the night and suddenly feeling so horrible, like, like you would have, it just, it just was the stomach bug. It was the stomach mm. bug. So I spent like the last half of the night just vomiting in the bathroom. So yeah. if it's any consolation, that's, that was how I remember. <laughs> oh, oh, awful. Well, so you had a lot of newspapers around, you know, I mean, I guess that's a, a positive. Uh, yeah. Oh, Bruce, if goodness. you could go back in time yeah. and tell yourself, your high school self, Bruce of 1989, something about the future, what would it be? Hmm. Well, the advice that I would give Bruce in 1989 is to not take things so seriously, right? That, that would 100% um, be, be the case. Like quit, quit taking it as serious as you think it needs to be. Um, the, the other thing is, you know, maybe buy a technology <laughs> stock. Um, early on, you know, by Apple or by Google like that. That's what I'd say. Like, Hey, look, you don't know what Google's going right. to do. <laughs> yeah. when you we hear will it, not think it. of Apple as and, just uh, the Oregon yeah. trail, you know, as the, as the vessel for Oregon trail, it will yeah. get better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's really going to be a great thing. Like seriously. That's oh, funny. Okay. So this one, last question. And, you know, as an improviser, I can't wait to hear what comes out of your mouth. Okay. But no pressure. If you, <laughs> yeah, no pressure, no pressure. What would be the title of your high school memoir? Oh, God. Uh, the title of my high school memoir. Um, Matt, now you put me on the <laughs> no. spot and I'm trying to be funny. Uh, let's see. Uh, I, you know, I, I think I think it would be uh, the stranger. I think that's uh, there was a lot of time where I felt a very and certainly early on just very alone. Um, as I was, you know, you guys who grew up in the academy, who grew up in that, you know, from sixth grade on, were incredibly tight. 
you had a, a Teflon veneer around your social groups. And it wasn't easy to break into those social groups. Um, it took a while of, uh, of just trying and failing and trying and failing and, and, uh, and seeing who you could make friends with. And that's not, you know, that's not a dig at the academy. That's not a dig on you guys. It's just the way mm-hmm. it was so insular that, um, that for those of, those of us who were coming from the outside, it just took a little longer to get in. To, you know, look, I'm charming, right? I get, I make friends really easily. Absolutely. Like, people love me. What is wrong with um, Yeah, no, it, it just was one of those. Oh things. my gosh. <laughs> ah, I love it. So, uh, so yeah, I think, yeah. I think I well, you weren't a stranger for too long, which is great. And, uh, you know, it was so, so amazing to That's get right. to know you. Yeah. Have you told your audience about the, the role that you played Carla in, oh, yes. um, in, in, uh, oh, yes. in the don't drink the water show? <laughs> yeah. She was so. bragging about being in your harem before you came on. <laughs> Yeah, we had to, we had to, we had to kind of keep that on the down low with Gail. I mean, Gail was a little worried when she met me when I had to tell her that I was part of the harem. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I did tell her. I was like, "Look, I, it was awkward. I had this gaggle of women. They were called my harem. I, I was popular in high school. I mean, what can I say? It's just the way it is, right? I mean, you've met me, right? Like, look at irresistible. me." I mean, charm. I'm just oozing. How do you think I got on the whistling championship? It's this charm. It's oh my charm. gosh. It's what so it fun. Um, it's been so fun to have you on this. And I hope we were just really, yeah, I would thank you for coming and just being your awesome, charismatic, charming, hilarious, wow. handsome <laughs> self. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And it's just good to see your face. As always, Carla, I've seen your face a lot more than I have, Jessica. Well, it's great it's to have to you. Both. Thank you so much. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah, good. I'm looking forward to our next collaboration. Jessica and Carla's High School Reunion is written, directed, and edited by Carla Silver and Jessica Slade. Our theme music, True Sight, is by Jared Matt Greenberg. Please subscribe and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.